Hour one of the WGN Radio Theater Program 462, Lisa. And you know what we have on the air for the next five hours? We've got classic radio. A lot of it. A lot of it. Rocky Fortune, starring Frank Sinatra. Then we'll have The Whistler. My Favorite Husband with Lucille Ball. Life with Luigi, starring J. Carol Nash. And The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce. Plus, you ready for this? Added bonus. Yeah. A five-part Yours Truly Johnny Dollar series. We'll play one 15-minute episode each hour. So lots of classic radio coming your way here on the WGN Radio Theater. Stick around. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. Before we tune into Rocky Fortune, I want to remind everyone listening that there are five free classic radio shows waiting for you at 100radioshows.com. That's our website. Go there. Put your email in. We'll send you five free classic radio shows. What are the shows? Do you remember, Lisa? Uh, yes, I do, Carl. All right. We've got Gunsmoke. Gunsmoke. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Yeah. Suspense. Yeah. Jack Benny. Yeah. And Fibber uh, McGee, Fibber and, McGee Molly. and Molly. I just had Would to give you me a moment. It? Of course. All right. Well, you know this what? This is my baby we're talking Mike about here. digitally remastered them. They sound amazing. They're for our listeners. As a thank you for listening to this show, just go to 100radioshows.com. They're waiting for you. And if there's any of the other hundreds and hundreds of radio shows that you'd like to purchase, make sure that you use the promo code radio. That's That's your chance to save 70%. And what a deal it is. 70% off your order. Go to 100radioshows.com. Okay, it's time for Rocky Fortune. In fact, this is the very first episode in the Rocky Fortune series. This was an amateur detective series created by George Lefferts and Ernest Canoy of X-1 and Dimension X fame. And it aired on NBC Radio without a sponsor. The entire series never had a sponsor. Came to radio for one season in 1953. This was at a time that Sinatra's career was a little bit fading, and his role of Private Angelo Maggio in From Here to Eternity had just come out. He would work the phrase From Here to Eternity into most of the radio scripts. Rocky Fortunato was a young man in need of employment, and he accepted odd jobs from the Gridley Employment Agency. Uh, On the show, Barney Phillips was Police Sergeant Hamilton J. Finger. The final episode in the series, March 30th, 1954, came on the air less than one week after Sinatra won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. His career was back on track. All right, Lisa, you ready for the very first episode from this series? Oh, I can't wait to hear it. It's called The Oyster Shucker from October 6th, 1953. Here's Frank Sinatra in Rocky Fortune. Frank Sinatra, transcribed as Rocky Fortune. Frank Sinatra, who stars as that footloose and frequently unemployed young gentleman, Rocky Fortune. I don't know what it 
is about me and employment, we start out together, but sooner or later we reach the fork in the road. Usually sooner. You take last week. The employment agency sent me out on a job as an oyster shucker. But somebody tried to serve me up on a half shell with a real crazy cocktail sauce. Blood. Pardon me, is this the uh, 50 Fathoms Clam House? Yes. Is there something I can do for you? That's the best offer I've had all day. We'll have a table in a minute. Would you care to look at the menu? What's the menu got that you haven't got, baby? A price list. If you'll excuse me, I'm busy. Now, wait a minute. Don't get sore. I work here. I'm the new oyster shucker. I'm Rocky Fortune. You'd better go around to the kitchen, Mr. Fortune. Just call me Rocky, huh? And I'll call you two or three times a day. Don't bother. Why not? For one thing, I've got a boyfriend. Now, why would we let a little thing like that come between us? Maybe because he's standing right behind you. Oops. He isn't exactly standing behind me. It's more like all around me. This joker's six foot four, 200 pounds on the hoof, and broad enough to go through the middle of a revolving door. And I can't figure a gorilla like this with this girl. She's a real sweet little girl, like somebody's kid sister. Only she's wearing a knit dress, and she's got a figure that's given the warp and the woof a hard time. I get a glimmer when she introduces me to the bruiser. Mr. Fortune, this is Mr. Barney. He's the manager. All right, Fortune, get back to the kitchen. I'll give you a personal introduction to a barrel of oysters. This way. And Fortune. Yeah. Stay away from Iris. Who says so? I say so. Now, here's your counter. The shell's in a garbage can. And this is the oyster knife. Right. And just so as we don't misunderstand each other, I'm very serious about Iris. Very serious. Hey, look out with that knife. You understand, Fortune? I got an inkling. Now get to work and shuck them oysters. It takes me a few minutes to pull the dull-bladed oyster knife two inches out of the table where Big Barney has buried it. About this time, Ferdinand the waiter drifts in the door. Ferdy's a little wispy guy who looks like a mechanical rabbit the greyhounds chase at the dog track. A thousand cherry stones! Hey, who are you? Rocky Fortune. I'm the new oyster shucker. What happened to Harmon? Maybe he got washed out with the tide. Hey, pal, when do I get something to eat here? Didn't you get some supper? No. That Barney, no consideration. Look, I'll fix you something. Uh, I've been looking at the menu. How about the swordfish? Uh-uh. No? To my best friend, I wouldn't recommend the swordfish. Not tonight. Ferdinand? Yes, sir? Mr. Abenaki's coming in. Excuse me. Hey, Chief! Give me two double shrimp cocktails, a crab meat salad, lobster gumbo, a bowl of Boston, a bowl of Manhattan, and a bucket of lobsters. What do you got out there? Rotary luncheon? No, just Mr. Abenaki. <laughs> I take a peek through the kitchen door, and Mr. Abernathy is sitting on two chairs at once and is still lapping over on all sides. Barney and Ferdinand are hovering around him like a pair of hummingbirds trying to neck with a navy blimp. I make a resolution to quit eating french fried potatoes and go back to unbuttoning oysters and remove their overcoats. It's lonely work, so I strike up a conversation. There's nobody in the pantry but me and the oysters, so I got no choice. You think you've got troubles? Hmm. I'm the one that ought to get stewed. You got it soft. You don't have to worry what happens if your lady friend decides to clam up. Who 
All you got to do is just lay there, that's all. If you want to make an impression on a dame, all you got to do is whip up a pearl. Holy smokes, a real live pearl. It's a real live pearl sitting in the middle of that oyster staring up at me with its one beautiful beady eye. I'm figuring on calling little Arthur the book to place a fin on the nose of Pearl Diver in the 5th at Belmont when I open the next oyster. So help me another pearl. I haven't had a run of luck like this since I busted up the floating crap game in Doherty's garage. So I leave the stake out and shoot it all. Another oyster. Another pearl. Come on, baby. Papa needs a new necklace. One after another. And every little darling loaded. I'm trembling as I hit number 10... 11 and 12. 12 great big fat pearls in my hot little hand and all mine. Just to make sure, I stash them away in my pocket quick as Ferdinand the waiter comes in the door. Two dozen special oysters for Mr. Abenaki. Buddy boy, I never could see nothing special about no oysters. It's like eating a clammy handshake. Get them up, and I'll pick them up on the way out. The specials from Mr. Abenaki come out of this barrel. And, and don't shuck them. He likes them open at the table. He says it improves the flavor. Yes, sir, Sergeant. Unfortunately, Barney has forgotten to tell me this, and I've already separated Mr. Abenaki's special oysters from their shells. Now, to me, the difference between a couple of oysters is something that could only interest another oyster. So I fill up a plate from the regular barrel. This, it turns out, is a mistake. Through the doors, I hear Mr. Abenaki sounding off like the bullhorn on a big moat. And Ferdinand comes flying back like a scared pigeon. What happened? What happened to the special oysters? Who is responsible for this? Please, Mr. Abenaki. I paid for special oysters shipped in just for me, and what do I get? Call these oysters? These miserable, scrawny blobs. What happened to Mr. Abenaki's oysters? You, fortune. Me? What happened to the specials? It was just a little mistake. A mistake. A mistake with my oysters. Please, Mr. Abenaki. Fortune, what happened? I opened them first. Nobody told me any different. You hear that? He opened my oysters. All that flavor gone. Gone forever. What is this? A federal case? You feather-headed idiot. Now, wait you a minute. Stupid, the no customers good. can hear you. Fortune, you lame brain, you apologize to Mr. Abenaki. Okay, okay. To him, I'll apologize. But you, you muscle-headed bum. Well, you scrawny knucklehead, I gotta pry you apart like a charter clam. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? Mr. Barney, I, I'm sure it was an honest mistake. Why don't you give him another chance? You shut up and keep out of this. Hey, who do you think you're talking to? You ought to wash your mouth out with soap before you talk to a lady. Fortune, you're fired. Oh, no. Please, Mr. Barney. You keep out of this. Take him up front and pay him off. Iris fishes me a couple of bucks out of the register. And I can see she's a little sorry for me, which makes me feel very pleasant indeed. Here you are, Mr. Fortune. I wish it was more. Oh, well. Easy come, easy go. I just wish I was staying on, though, so I could see you again. It took a lot of courage to stand up to Barney like that. I still have the oyster knife. Well, I wish there was something that I could do. How about splitting a steak with me tonight, huh? After all, I just got fired. And I shouldn't be left alone with a knife. Well, I suppose it's all right. Meet you when you get off. <laughs> 
Is it a date? All right, Rocky. I'm off at nine. You bounced the nut on the head for the day. Twelve pearls and a beautiful girl. This is better than the Daily Double. It's about 8.45 when I head out the back door. It's a very cozy neighborhood. You could sometimes go as far as a block without stumbling over a drunk or being mugged for a pair of clean socks. So I'm not too surprised when an arm whips around my neck and I cease breathing until further notice. Don't say a word. Who can talk? This ain't no briar pipe sticking in your back. Okay, okay. Hand them over. Anything in particular? You know what I'm talking about. Hand them over. Now, Mac, this may make me seem a little slow, but I haven't got the slightest idea what you're talking about. The pearls, wise guy. The pearls, you got them. Oh, them. Didn't your mother ever tell you it ain't polite to shortstop? Now pass them over. They're mine. I found them. Okay, okay. Hand them over. Over my dead body. That can be arranged. All right, wise guy. I'll give you a quick five to hand them over. One. Hey, you're kidding, ain't you? Two. Okay, okay. I got them right here. Three. Right here. Hey, hey they're gone. Four. Honest, I put them in his pocket, see? I said four. Look, look, there's a hole in it. Look, I can wiggle my finger through it. Five. If you don't believe me, look for yourself. Yeah. Okay, hold still. I'm ticklish. You're clean, all right. Listen, punk, I'll give you a chance. You got 12 hours to hand those pearls over. But I lost them, aren't I? You lost them, you find them. Remember, 12 hours or we'll fit you for a brand new satin-lined overcoat with silver handles. And just to show you we ain't... later, the world slows down to a gentle spiral. Some other bum has rolled me for 38 cents and change, a subway token in my shoes. I paddle around to the avenue on my bare feet, and I find Iris waiting in front of a drugstore looking like Hurricane Barbara, about to hit the Atlantic coast from Block Island at Cape Hatteras. Rocky, this is not the kind of a neighborhood where a girl likes to wait for... What's the matter? You're limping. I stepped on a live cigar butt. Well, you're barefoot. Where are we going to, a square dance? Look, honey, I'm afraid our date's off. Why? I gotta attend a funeral. Whose? Mine. What are you talking about? There seems to be a difference of opinion about some pearls. I told the guy I found them, but he couldn't see it my way. You found some pearls? Yes. Where? Where else? In an oyster. Twelve of them. You found twelve pearls in one oyster? No, no. One each in a dozen. How's that for luck? Nobody's that lucky. But now I can't find them. I got a hole in my pocket. I must have dropped them. Oh, that's terrible. You don't know the half of it. The guy who just slugged me gave me 12 hours to cough up the pearls or else. A particularly nasty else. Oh. Oh, well, then we've got to start looking for them. Right now. Right now, I'd rather look for some shoes. A guy can get athlete's foot this way. back into the 50 Fathoms clam house to try to find the pearls. I'm cutting my bare feet to ribbons on broken clam shells. We go through the sawdust in the pantry a spoonful at a time, but we draw a blank. No pearls. Up to now, I've been thinking I'm just lucky. But slowly, I realize I've been playing with marked oysters. I figure them pearls must be hot as a tin roof in August. Rocky, what happens if we don't find them? They might kill you. Yeah. I was thinking that was a possibility, too. Oh. Where else could you have dropped them? Was there anything on the floor, a, a garbage can or something? Wait a minute. 
There was. That little barrel that Mr. Abenaki's oysters came in. It was right by this stool. Maybe the pearls dropped in it. But the barrel's gone, too. Of course. They pick it up at night and take it back to the oyster boat. Can you find out which boat? I know. I sign the receipt every day. It's the, it's the Polly B at Pier 22. Oh, Rocky, do you think the pearls could still be in the barrel? Well, I got a hasty feeling I'd better find out. Anyway, if Abenaki's oysters came from that boat, then so do the pearls. Rocky, I'm going with you. Now, look, honey, it's going to be dangerous and dark down on that dock. You'll be there. I know. That's what frightens me. Well, come on. Let's set for Pier 22. And if I don't find the pearls, well, at least it's a good place to jump off. I'm still barefoot as we head up the waterfront to Pier 22, but I keep going. I figure it's like a horse. If I pull up lame now, I'm a sense to get shot. Pier 22 looks like the spot where Henry Hudson dropped his anchor on the first trip. There's a crap game going on in the dock office. We wait until somebody makes a four the hard way and slip through in the confusion. The oyster boat is halfway down the pier, and we go aboard. Don't chip on them ropes. Isn't that the barrel? Right there? That's it. That's it, all right. I'll tip it up to the light. Empty as a pocket before payday. Oh, Rocky. I wonder where the elephants go to die. Rocky. Rocky, listen. Yeah. Somebody must have broken up the crap game. They're coming this way. Well, what are we going to do? That guy who put the arm on me is with him. You see the guy with no neck? Yeah. Come on, we better hide. Well, where? Down the hatch behind us. I can't jump down there. Not in this skirt. In it or out of it. Here you go. Oh, oh it's dark down here. Look out. Here I come. Now, keep quiet, baby, and maybe we'll get out of this thing in one piece. All right, let's get going. Cast off the bowline. What is it? What's happening? Did you bring your toothbrush? A toothbrush? What for? I can only think of one thing to say at this point. What? Bon voyage. Polly B is definitely not in the Queen Mary class. It's sort of a cross between an oversized shoebox and a Staten Island ferry. It would probably rock like crazy in a bathtub, and by the time we're through the narrows and into the lower bay, Iris has turned a tasteful tone of green, which unfortunately clashes with her purple dress. Oh, Rocky, I'm afraid I'm going to die. No, you're not. Okay, I'm, I'm afraid I'm not going to die. Ugh. Somebody will hear you. I don't care. There's the boy. Moran, the boy. What happened? We're stopping. Maybe we hit a red light. Will you men get the net on the side? Come on, hurry up. What is it? Oysters? I don't know. I better boost you up so you can sneak a peek. You ready? Mm -hmm. Well? It's a barrel, Rocky. They pulled it in with a net. Rocky, it's got a flag on it. Let me down. Uh. I got it now. Just like Prohibition. Someone on an incoming line that dumps the stuff over. And this boat picked it up. Yeah, and delivers it to the 50 Fathoms Clam House. What a way to sneak in pearls inside an oyster. And if some jerk opens one by mistake, he just thinks he's lucky. Can you imagine a guy stupid enough to think he'd really find a pearl in an... Uh, um, you read any good books lately? Rocky, it's... It's a smuggling racket. All right. Baby, you're even smart. That's okay. right. I could kiss you. Mm. 
my mouth puckered when the roof falls in. And I find myself kissing a 30-pound flounder, which is part of a load of fish dumped in on top of us. We're standing up to the neck in fresh-caught ocean fishing season. I pick a herring out of my ears and look around for Iris. And once again, I get that funny feeling. You know, that yearning to take her out of all of this. Polly B. makes it back to the pier in Blue Ribbon time. And when the coast is clear, Iris and I climb out of the fish and shake off the scales. I've got a smelt in my pocket and a certain air about me. Ooh, I can't even stand myself. I think it's invigorating. Uh, Blocky, you know it's clear. You got the pearls by mistake. Yeah, those oysters were meant for Mr. Abenaki. They're delivered specially for him. It must be Rocky. So, what do we do now? Well, honey, as much as I hate disturbing a man at his meal, Mr. Abenaki leaves me no choice. He eats all day. <laughs> However, there's a limit to how long a dame can wander through town with seaweed in her hair and a strong suspicion that barnacles have set in. So Iris heads up to apartment to change. I figure I might as well head over to the clam house to do a little digging on my own. It's midnight now, and Ferdinand's in the kitchen when I get there. Hey, what happened? You jump off the ferry? Never mind. Listen, has Abenaki still got his nose in a feed bag? He's on his demitasse. Demitasse? Yes, he has to watch his weight. Look, Ferdinand, about those special oysters. Mr. Abenaki never has them open in the kitchen, right? Right. He's a very particular man. He wants to make sure all the flavor's locked in. I'll bet he does. Ferdinand, this may come as a shock to you, but something tells me Mr. Abenaki is playing puss in the corner with the United States Customs. Not to mention the cops from the country where the stuff was originally heisted. The stuff? The pearls. I found a dozen of them in his oysters. I can't figure out where they went to, though. You lost them? Yeah, to a hole in my pocket. I was leaning over the counter right here. Now, they could have rolled along, but I, I didn't find them on the floor. They should have dropped right down here like... Hmm. Who put that bowl of soup on the stool? I did. That's Mr. Abenaki's oyster stool. I always leave it there till he's ready for it. You do? Yes. Did Mr. Abenaki have oyster stew tonight? Sure. He has a couple of bowls with each meal. Ferdinand, i got to make some phone calls to the cops for a squad car in the Bellevue Hospital for a stomach pump. You mean Mr. Abenaki is a smuggler? Somebody around here is, and he looks like it. I'll let the cops nail it down. Well, that's too bad, isn't it? About Abenaki, why? He deserves what he's got coming to him. Yes, but I'm afraid you don't. Now, please put up your hands, Mr. Fortune. You see, we wouldn't want the police around. The clam house has to think of its reputation. But your gun is loaded. Barney? Sure, boss. Take this gun and keep him covered. With pleasure. Then it's you. I suppose it is. Barney, uh, could Captain Duran arrange a special trip on the Polly B? <laughs> Easy. Well, uh, we'll have to be careful where we drop you. It wouldn't do to spoil the oyster bed. Mr. Abenaki wouldn't like it. Couldn't you just maroon me on a desert island? Please, Mr. Fortune, be practical. Now, we're going out through the kitchen door. Barney, you go first. Sure thing, boss. Post is clear. Barney! Barney, what happened? Probably this. Ooh, Rocky? Rocky, all right? Sure, how's Barney? Oh, he's out cold. What did you hit him with? A frozen flounder. You know it was Ferdinand all the time? The waiter? Sure, he got to the oysters before Abenaki. That reminds me. Well, where are you going? To call the cops. I got to tend to something. Mr. Abenaki, you had an oyster stew earlier this evening. Uh, I did. 
please pass the ketchup. Look, I, I don't want to disturb you, but there were a dozen pearls in that stew. Oh? I thought the oysters were somewhat gritty. Now, we've got to get those pearls back wherever they are. Is that all? You've got them. I, I suppose I have. In the midsection. More or less. I'm going to send for a stomach pump right away. Oh, oh that won't be necessary. I, I have them in my vest pocket. Uh, yeah. Are these the pearls? You mean you didn't eat them? Goodness, no. I almost lost a filling on the first one, though. I thought I was just lucky. You're sure these pearls belong to you? I'm positive, Mr. Abenaki. Well, if they're yours, take them by all means. Oh, and uh, young man. Yeah? Ask somebody to bring me another piece of pie. <laughs> Somebody else gets the pie. Me? I'm in the mood to relax. The Rover boys are safe in the walk-in refrigerator. The 12 pearls have come home to Papa. And I'm alone with Iris, who's wearing a flannel skirt and a little boy's shirt, which never looks like that on no little boy. Well, Rocky? Honey, I think maybe you saved my life. Would you like to claim a little reward? What kind of reward? Now, come here. Mm-mm. Closer. Mm-mm. Baby, I've got something for you. Yeah. The pearls. Well, honey. Hmm? I've got something for you. Yeah? What? A property receipt from the U.S. Customs Department. You. You. You're a cop. Good night, Rocky. Good night. <laughs> Frank Sinatra as that footloose and fancy-free young man known as Rocky Fortune. Others in the cast included Lynn Allen, Jack Crucian, Jack Nestle, Lou Merrill, and William Euler. Andrew C. Love directed. Eddie King speaking. Now here's Frank Sinatra to tell you about next week's transcribed adventure. Did you ever get up in the morning and find out you were somebody else? The next week I wake up married to a dame and I don't even know her name. I'm living like a Maharaja and I'm insured for a hundred grand. Double indemnity. Next week, then, tune in again when Frank Sinatra returns as Rocky Fortune. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
And that's Rocky Fortune from October 6, 1953, with the Oyster Shucker, starring Frank Sinatra in the very first episode in the series. Pretty cool, huh? Oh, very cool. And I was going to also mention, of course, if you're a Frank Sinatra fan, we've got a whole show about Frank Sinatra with Dave Plyer, our good friend. That's on every Sunday morning, 6.30 to 9. Check it out. It's a beautiful show. Right. Oh, it's great. I love listening to it. When I'm not uh, falling asleep. We're a little sleepy, but... Because we're here all the way till three in the morning, but I have caught it and it's really, really good. All right. We have a five-part Yours Truly Johnny Dollar series. These are great. In fact, they're Mike Costello's favorite radio series. He loves Johnny Dollar. I do too. Uh, this is called The Lamar Matter. This first episode is from March 26, 1956. We'll play one 15-minute chapter in each hour all the way till three o'clock in the morning. Here is part one now of Yours Truly Johnny Dollar. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. Pat McCracken, Johnny, returning your call. Oh, hi, Pat. How Southern California? My vacation on expense account? I love it. Well, don't overdo it. Just because the Jolly Roger matter interfered with that vacation you'd planned is no Now, wait a minute. You promised full expenses. Okay. When are you coming back to Hartford? Soon as I clear up the Lamar case. One okay expenses order now? Huh? Lamar? Yeah, Pat. This is a case that'll make your hair curl. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Lamar matter. Expense account? Ah, oh, forget it. I'm on vacation. As far from Hartford, Connecticut, center of the insurance business as I can get. Yeah, I'm in La Jolla, California. And I'm staying in a big, ritzy motel called El Crescenta. Alone. Oh, there is a girl down here. A lot of them, in fact. But one in particular. Ronnie Lamar, her name is. Sounds like somebody in show business, doesn't it? But she isn't. Tall, five feet eight, brunette, pretty as the devil. And I gave her the line that my so-called business back east consists of nothing more exciting than running a filling station. How can you afford to come all the way out here to California for a vacation? To say nothing of staying at the El Crescenta. Rich uncle, Vonnie. Died and left me a couple of thousand to do with as I see fit. This is the way I see fit. Only a couple of thousand. Mm-hmm. Gee, that's too bad. A couple of hundred thousand, I might really fall for you. Oh, Vonnie, how can you? Hmm? Here I thought these last three days and evenings with you were due solely to my overwhelming personal charms. Your charm has nothing to do with it. Kiss me again, anyhow. With Vonnie around, who needed a couple of hundred grand? The gal was just about all anyone could ask for. And I don't mean for just a quick vacation time romance. I'd spotted her the minute I'd landed here at this hotel. More like a guest ranch by the seashore. Beautiful, modern cottages set around a big green lawn with a swimming pool in the center big enough for the Olympics. 
Carports beside the cottages loaded with Eldorados, Continentals, and a handful of foreign sports jobs. A beautiful big dining room and a building set up to look like an old clipper ship. And food and service worthy of Oscar of the Waldorf. And what was I doing here? On expense account, remember? Yeah, I'd spotted Vonnie the night I arrived from San Diego after clearing up the Jolly Roger matter and set my sights for her immediately. Naturally, I wondered what so attractive a girl was doing alone here. She cleared that up for me at dinner the second night. I still don't understand why Daddy hasn't arrived yet. Oh? He's supposed to join you on this vacation? We always spend our vacations together. At least we have since Mother died a few years ago. You're an only child? Yes. Really, a foster child. Just as we were about to take our plane, some crisis or other arose at the plant. So he made me come along and wait for him. Lamar Metal Products. Lamar Metal... Oh, yeah, yeah. Aircraft components, isn't it? South Bend, Indiana? Yes. You know how crisis can arrive in a business like that. Sure, I imagine so. Government orders and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, you'll probably hear from him before... Oh. Hey, waiter, would you like to get a... Senorita, a telegram for the lady. Oh? Excuse me, Johnny. Sure. Here you are, Pedro. Gracias, Pedro. Oh, dear. What's the matter? It's from my father, and I don't like it. Listen. Must delay departure a few more days. Doctor's orders. Oh? Nothing to worry about. Stay there in La Jolla until I join you, love Daddy. That's too bad. But doctor's orders... There's nothing wrong with Daddy. He had a new insurance examination just a month ago. They gave him a clean bill of health. Uh, what company? Try Mutual something or other, but what difference does it make? There's something wrong about this. I'm sure of it. Oh, why don't you phone him? Yes. Yes, I will. My cottage is right next door here. Come on. It was none of my business, but the name of Try Mutual rang an old familiar bell. Yeah, I'd handle a lot of cases for them. Anyway, she wasted no time in putting through a call to her father's private number in South Bend. Yes, operator? Thank you. I don't know why I didn't go to my own cottage to make this call. Mm, my pleasure. I guess I'm a bit upset by this wire. I don't blame you. There's nothing wrong with Daddy. There can't be. Well, maybe he just made the mistake of mixing too many oysters with too many martinis. Hello? Hello? Daddy, what's this telegram you sent me? Oh. Oh, I see. Oh, well, you had me scared for a few minutes. Oh, yes, fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, if you must know the truth, I have. Johnny Dollar. Uh-oh. Very. Careful, gal. Oh, he says he runs a filling station, but I don't believe him. <laughs> I'll tell you all when you get here. And hurry, darling, please. All right, Daddy. Good night, dear. Oh, thank goodness. You don't know how close your guess was, Johnny. Oh? It was just a slight case of indigestion. Plus the fact he wanted another day at the plant. Well, good. Then let's go back to the dining room and see what kind of indigestion we can accumulate. Well, that started it. Three days and nights. of as much fun and relaxation as I've had in years. A wonderful place to stay, a private beach that I'll wager a second to none on the Pacific coast. Swimming, water skiing, skin diving, sailing, everything. Oh, this was it. Or so I thought. Oh, why make any bones about it? I'm a sucker for romance. And believe me, it wasn't hard to be serious with one. 
Johnny. Yeah? This is nice, isn't it? I, I... I don't believe in love at first sight. Do you? Uh, no. No, I, um... But it is nice, isn't it? Hey, whoa, gal. Hmm? And it'd be much too easy to fall in love with you, Vonnie. And I mean the forever kind. Well, would that be so terrible? You've, you've got one big strike against you, you know. Johnny, what? M-O-N-E-Y, money. <laughs> you lose. Huh? I have nothing, except what my father gives me. You know, allowance and for clothes and things and... <laughs> you know. So you see, I'm just as poor as you are. Only you aren't. Or you wouldn't be staying at a place like this. Another thing. You know absolutely nothing about me. <laughs> you know you don't make a living by running any old filling station. Johnny Dollar at the sign of the Flying Red Horse. Oh, stop it. Well, for all you know, I'm a... I'm a gangster, or a safecracker, a jewel thief. Mm. Or worse still, playboy scion of a wealthy family who never did a lick of work in his life. In other words, a worthless bum. Don't say that, Johnny, even in fun. Had you fill them, huh? Yes, and their mothers. Old dowagers trying to marry them off to another wealthy family. Add the name Lamar to their end of the social register listing. Insure the fortune with another fortune. I thought you said you were poor. Well, you know what I mean. A bunch of worthless fops, that's all they are. I've seen better men among the servants and chauffeurs, a little Mexican boy who helps one of the gardeners, and the young businessmen there in South Bend and in other cities. Maybe earning just enough to make ends meet, but but men, ambitious, hardworking, willing to get somewhere on their own merit. And, well, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Why don't you marry one of them, Bonnie? It isn't as easy as that, Johnny. You know it. Maybe I was waiting for someone like you to... Mm. I still don't believe in love at first sight. <laughs> Good. Well, let me snuggle again. Right before we started this horrible discussion. Mm-hmm. Sun's going down, though, honey. And this little niche in the rocks is going to get cold. Yeah, hey, look. Everybody else has left the beach. Come on, snuggle. I like it. <laughs> Kiss me. And I thought I'd have to ask for it. John, Johnny, what do you do? Well, hmm? well, I'll tell you. I live in Hartford, as I told you, and I'm really... Listen, he's calling you. Yeah, you too. Oh, the spoil sport. Well, maybe it's a word from your dad. Here, up you come. Oh, I hope so. Come on, Johnny. Pedro! Pedro! Over here. Here we are. Here. What's up? Oh, senor, senorita. Telegrams. Telegrams? But the one for the senor was Mark Rush. So I rush. Good boy, Pedro. Here. No, I'll tip you when we get back to the motel. Stop si, by my cottage. Johnny, it's... What's wrong, Bonnie? It's from our family doctor. I'm afraid... Here, you read it. Sure, I'll be glad to. Regret having to inform you your father died a few hours ago. Suggest you return to South Bend immediately. Oh, Johnny! <laughs> 
It was a few minutes before Vonnie could pull herself together enough to walk from the beach up to her cottage where she could pack her things for the trip back to South Bend. I told her I'd make the necessary plane reservations for her. But what I didn't tell her was the contents of the wire I'd received, the one marked Rush. It was from Pat McCracken at Universal Adjustment Bureau. A request to call him at his home in Hartford immediately. I put through the call. Hello, Pat McCracken. Well, Killjoy, what's on your mind? Johnny? That's right. Hey, you got my wire. Why else do you think I'm calling? I tried to get you long distance all day. Your motel didn't seem to know where you were. Well, that was my doing. They might have spoiled a beautiful romance. Well, what's on your mind? Uh, Johnny, you've got to cut your vacation short. Oh, no, you don't. And you've got to come back to Hartford right away. What? Now, listen, I'm just... Yes, but plan to make a long stopover in South Bend, Indiana. South Bend? That's right. Oh, I get it. This is a gag. Or did you know I'd figured maybe on stopping over there anyhow? I don't know what you're talking about, but now listen. By a rare stroke of luck, we just got word of the death this morning of one of Trimutual's bigger policyholders. How much? A million and a half. <sighs> man named Thomas Rene Lamar. Lamar? Pat! Now listen, Johnny. The circumstances lead us to think it may be murder. <laughs> Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a set of circumstances arise that are enough to keep a man from trusting even himself. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. That's part one of a five-part adventure on yours truly, Johnny Dollar, with the Lamar Matter from 1956, starring Bob Bailey. Please salute our brave men and women fighting overseas for their support of the USA. This salute, courtesy of a concerned citizen, John Wadzita, serving the U.S. Postal Service for over 38 years. John Wadzita is on the air saluting our troops. All right. More of the WGN Radio Theater after these words. All right, Lisa, in our next hour, we'll tune into The Whistler from 1945, plus part two of this five-part Lamar Matter on yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Billy. Are you going to stick around? 
I'll think about it. You know, I get this all the time. People say, do you have a podcast of the WGN Radio Theater? There are many, many ways you can hear a podcast of this show, right, Lisa? Right. What's the easiest way? I think you should go to WGNRadio.com. All of our podcasts are posted there along with all of the other shows on WGN. All the way back to day one when we started? No, they don't go quite that far back. there's a lot of them. There's hundreds of them up there. There's a lot. Yeah. You can spend many hours listening to WGN Radio Theater. It's a lot of Carl. It's a lot of Lisa. (laughs) It's a lot of Carl but you might be able to suffer through it. Yeah, so that's the best way. You know what I do when I want to hear it? I do. You go to Google. I just Google it. And you type in the just number Google. of the show. So you type in WGN Radio Theater number 462. That's this one, And you yeah. get to the same place. <laughs> yeah, if you, you know, I mean, I know we're on late, so if you fall asleep, I sometimes, you know, could fall asleep here at the radio you could station. You could you do. <laughs> <laughs> but Lisa wakes me up. She's like, you got to go on the air. I just throw things seconds, at you. <laughs> you know, she squirts me with water. A lot of times. All right. Well, uh, check out our podcast if you missed the show. And, uh, you know, I've even figured out how to Bluetooth it. I know, right and that's car. that's pretty impressive. Listen to it in the car. Yeah, we we, we like do that every week as we drive down. <laughs> we'll be back after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. Want to remind everyone listening, we have a classic radio club. This is a club for you to join. Get ten shows sent to you via email each and every month, or you can get these 10 shows available on five CDs. Right, Lisa? Right. We have some great shows as a part of the club that you'll never hear anywhere else other than as a part of uh, Classic Radio Club. So being a member really opens some doors for you. And the reason I say that is because, of course, we play some of your favorites that you know and expect, but we also find some really unique shows, um, some hidden gems, some shows that are first in the series or that contain stars that you wouldn't expect to be in those shows. And those are the kind of things that we make sure to include in this classic radio club. Plus, I write very detailed liner notes about every show. So if you want to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, go to our website, classicradioclub.com. And you can experience it for the first month for only $1. We want everyone to try it. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. Learn all about it. Get 10 shows sent to you each and every month, either via digital download or on five CDs in a collector case. All right. It's time now for The Whistler. This was a mystery series that premiered on CBS Radio in 1942. It was sponsored by Signal Oil. And the uh, the longest-running guy to play the Whistler was Bill Foreman. He was this all-knowing character who narrated a person's criminal acts, and the criminal's fate would be ultimately undone because there was always a twist at the end of the Whistler. That was their kind of, you know, that was their selling point of this series. You were listening to it, and then at the very end... Unexpected. Unexpectedly. You never really know who who, who to expect, right. did what, did who to who what. <laughs> yeah, it was a really great twist at the end. There was great supporting actors, Jack Webb, Gerald Moore, Elliot Lewis, William Conrad. Nearly 700 episodes from this series, from 1942 all the way to 1955. And it was always consistently good. And it was a top, it was a top listen to show. I mean, people were always tuning in each and every week to The Whistler. We have an episode for you now. From July 2nd, 1945, it's called Deadly Innocent. Bill Foreman stars. Here's The Whistler. Signal gasoline. Let every traffic signal remind you, you do go farther with signal gasoline. Yes, you do go farther with signal.
The Signal Oil Company and your neighborhood Signal dealer bring you another curious story by The Whistler. Tonight, The Deadly Innocent. I am the whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Have you ever hated a man enough to kill him? No? Well, that's the kind of hate that grows with the years grows and grows into an all-consuming passion. That's the way it was with Lambert Dean. He has wanted to kill someone for 25 years. That's why he has come down to the offices of the Mammoth Construction Company at 9 o'clock at night. That's why he's chatted casually with the old night watchman who took him up in the elevator, chatting oh so casually. But he thought out every word in advance. The night watchman will remember them later, just a little later. There should be just a crack of light showing under the door of the president's office. Yes, there it is. And Lambert is going toward it. So you've never wanted to kill a man. Listen. You may get a few pointers. Hello, Joe. Huh? Oh? What are you doing here? Why, did I startle you, Joe? I'm so sorry. What do you mean by busting into my office? Can't you knock? Oh, sure, Joe. I'd never think of walking into the president's office without knocking during working hours. <laughs> I didn't think it'd matter tonight. Anytime I'm here is working hours. Remember that if you want to hang on to your job. Now get out. Well, don't you want to know why I came down tonight? I do not. Any fool could take care of the bookkeeping department in the daytime. If you have to work nice to keep up with simple routine, that's your lookout. Oh, I don't have to work on them. They're all fixed up, just the way I want them. I, uh, I came here to tell you about them, Joe. Well, you can keep it. The books will wait till tomorrow. Better listen now, if you want to hear it at all. How many times have I got to tell you to get... What do you mean, better listen? Tomorrow will be too late. You'd better listen, Joe. Yeah, maybe I had. What are you up to? Anything wrong with the books? (laughs) You're a smart guy, Joe. You always were. Even back when you were a kid in Nickers. Oh, for the love of Pete, if you're going to start wrecking of past history... The sooner you let me talk, the sooner you'll get it over with. Well, if you've got anything to say, say it. My time's valuable. Is it? (laughs) Yes, you were smart, making up to me when we were kids. You were my pal. You looked after me. Never let anybody bully me. Uh, Your dad had dough. Mine didn't. Uh Uh-huh. It was worth having you hung around my neck if it got me the kind of life I wanted. And it did, didn't it? Pretty soon you just about moved in on us. When I went to college, Dad sent you too. Good, kind Joe Carson, who always looked after poor little me. All right, all right, so you finally tumbled to it. What of it? When Dad got wiped out and we had to leave school and hunt work, you didn't drop me. (laughs) I'm no fool. You still belonged on the right side of the tracks. You knew the folks that counted. Sure, Joe, sure, you were smart. I knew the men with the jobs to give. I found out about old Jennings needing a bookkeeper down here at Mammoth. Only when I got around to applying, they already had a new bookkeeper. You. Well, if you were dope enough to tell me about it, you deserved what you got. Maybe I wouldn't have seen the future in a piddling little bookkeeping job if you hadn't run off of the mouth about that, too. 
I'm going to be the bright young man who catches Jennings' eye, Joe. I'm going to marry Betsy Jennings. Someday I'll own Mammoth, lock, stock, and barrel. You haven't got Mammoth yet, smart guy. No, just all the rest. Give me time. Old man Jennings is on his last legs, and you know it. Now get out. You're fired. Haven't you forgotten the books, Joe? I'll check them by myself. Now out. No. Get out or I'll... No, I'm not going. You are. What? This is the end of the line for you, Joe. Tomorrow, I'll move into your office. Pretty soon, I'll move into your house with Betty. Before long, I'll own Mammoth. (laughs) You're crazy. Like a fox. I'm going to kill you, Joe. Signal goes as far as before the war. Yes, Signal gasoline still goes as far as before the war. But how can it, I hear you asking? How can it when certain gasoline ingredients are reserved for war? Well, that's what I want to tell you. You see, it's true, certain of the more volatile ingredients, such as isopentane, have been reserved for war. That's why Signal Oil Company is frank to admit no gasoline today can promise you all the pep and anti-knock performance you found in pre-war Signal gasoline, and which you'll be enjoying again in even further improved Signal post-war gasoline. But when it comes to mileage, that's another story. For today's Signal formula contains not only all the high-energy components that gave pre-war Signal its superior mileage, but in addition, new hydrocarbons rich in mileage have been added. That's why it's a fact. The famous Signal formula still places the emphasis on mileage. That's why it's just as true today as it was before the war. You do go farther with Signal gasoline. And now, back to the whistler. They say even the humblest worm will turn if you step on him hard enough. You didn't think of that, did you, Joe Carson, when you used your pal for a stepladder, stole his job, his girl, the life he planned. You weren't quite smart enough. You're alone in your office now with the night pressing around you, alone with the turned worm. He's going to kill you, Joe. Sit down, Joe. Drop that gun, you crazy fool. Sit down. That's better. (laughs) Wouldn't like you to be uncomfortable. You've got a nice, easy chair to die in, Joe. The president's chair. Now, Lamb. Lamb, listen. Let's talk this thing over. Mm. We're both businessmen. Maybe we can make a deal. (laughs) When old man Jennings kicks off, there'll be plenty for both of us. Now, come on, put down that gun. Put down this gun? Why, Joe, I like it. Feels good in the hand. A sweet gun, Joe. The day you bought it, you signed your death warrant. You know that? Would you like to know about it? That's right, Lambert. Tell Joe about it. Don't let him die without knowing how smart you've been for a change. Remind him of the day Mr. Jennings retired from the business. The day Joe put that gun in his desk drawer and bragged that the payroll would be safe. Joe's own gun in Joe's own desk with Mr. Jennings for a witness. Convenient, wasn't it? But don't stop there. Tell him your whole plan. Tell him about that day two months ago when you started on your careful, deadly trail. 
Hello, Mr. Dean. Have a good lunch? Uh, no, not very, I'm afraid. Nothing seems to agree with me these days. Uh, you may go to your own lunch now, Miss Neal. Okay. If you ask me, your stomach would be a lot better off without all those pills you keep stuffing down your neck. I was not aware that I'd asked you, Miss Neal. No, it's your stomach. Bye. Back soon. Uh, Miss Neal. Have you seen my tablets? They don't seem to be in my pocket. I'm sure I had them this morning. I remember taking a couple when I got to the office. Oh, sure I've seen them. You left them on the water cooler. Uh, Big boy Carson raised Kane about it when he went out to eat. Say, what's he got against you anyhow? Against me? Oh, you must be mistaken, Miss Neal. Joe was my friend. We were boyhood friends. Then why is he always picking on you and yelling at you? Looks to me like he wants to run you out of here. Only he doesn't dare as long as the old man's alive. Miss Neal, I cannot allow you to speak like that about my friend. Now that Mr. Carson is in sole charge of the business, he's naturally under a strain. We, we must all make allowances. Oh, yeah. Here, I hid your pills under the stuff on your desk. Oh. Uh-huh. How many do you want? Two? Put out your hand. Uh, thank you. Now you sit still. I'll bring you some water. Uh, that's very... One moment. Hmm? These aren't my tablets. Why, sure they are. They're right out of your bottle. That little brown bottle you're always hauling out. See? Yes, that's my bottle, but the tablets, uh, mine were white too, but considerably smaller. I showed you one yesterday. Don't you remember? Remember one tablet from another? Oh, honest, Mr. Dean. Well, gee, you're right. Yours had some kind of trade name stamped on them. These are perfectly plain. Uh, that's, that's strange, isn't it? Somebody's playing a dirty trick on you. Probably thought it'd be a good joke to give you something that really upset your tummy. Why, I can't believe it. Say, there's Mr. Carson. What? Joe? That's it, I'll bet you anything. It'd be just like him. Oh, now, Miss Neal, please. <sighs> we have no proof that Mr. Carson had anything to do with this. He saw the bottle, didn't he? He yelled about it, and he hates you. You know he does. Uh, these tablets may be perfectly harmless. Harmless? Oh, golly. You don't suppose Mr. Carson would... Oh, no, 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 no. Don't let your imagination run away with you. But, Mr. Dean, he, he obviously wants to get now, rid please, of you. please, Miss Neal. I forbid you to speak of this to anyone. I'm going to destroy these tablets at once, and uh, we'll forget all about it. Well, it's your funeral. But if it was me, I'd have those pills analyzed. <laughs> That's right, Lambert. That was step one along the trail leading to Joe's untimely death. But don't stop there. Before you pull the trigger, tell him the whole story. Tell him about step two. Hey, look out! Where you going, Kinsher? Did you see that? You all right, mister? Uh, Yes, I I think I'm... He didn't hit me. Boy, you got luck to burn. If you hadn't jumped like a grasshopper, that car made mincemeat out of you. I was... Walking along close to the pavement, somebody shoved me hard. Then I was out in the street in that car. Well, what do you know? Hey, I guess it could happen easy enough with all these crowds on the sidewalk. Yes, easy enough. You didn't happen to notice who was behind me. <laughs> in all that gang? Look, mister, there were dozens of people. Businessmen and ladies shopping and... Well, I thought you might have seen one special person. He'd, he'd be a big man, a gray hat and top coat. You'd notice him. Wait a minute. You mean that shove wasn't no accident? This guy was out to get you? Uh, I'd rather not say any more. Well, that's the way it was. Let me think. Let me think here. Seems to me I do remember a gray hat. A big man, around 45, with a red face. Yeah. 
Yeah, he'd have to be big to stand out in the crowd, wouldn't he? Red face. Sure, sure, I remember now. Perhaps you saw the face towering over me? Towering over you? Yes. Oh, he must have been for me to pick him out special. Hey, that puts the fella right smack behind you. I thought so. Thank you, Mr. Uh... Robinson's name. D.L. Robinson. Robinson. Uh, you're going to report this to the police, ain't you? I could go along with you and tell them what i seen. Well, uh, not just yet. I, I can't be sure. Uh, if I was in your shoes, I wouldn't wait to be so all-fired sure. Anybody start shoving me under car? Well, please, I... please. I'll call on you if I need you. In the meantime, perhaps you'd, you'd better have my name, too. It's Dean Lambert Dean. You remember? In, in case of accident. Lambert Dean. Uh, you bet I won't forget Darned if I could take a thing like this in my stride. If I was you, I'd be yelling for the police so loud they'd hear me in Jericho. Nice work, Lambert. That was step two, and it was easy. All you had to do was plant an idea and watch it grow. Little Miss Neal was already sorry for you because Joe Carson kept bawling you out. Easy to make her think a few soda mint tablets might be poison. Especially since you destroyed the evidence. Easy to step off the curbing into the path of a car and then convince an excited witness that you were pushed. Pushed by a big florid man like Joe Carson. Only what's the motive, Lambert? Why should Joe attempt to kill you? The police will want to know. You waited, didn't you? Waited until this very afternoon when Joe Carson was out and old Mr. Jennings made one of his rare visits to the office. Come in. Well, Lambert, come in, my boy. Uh, Mr. Jennings, may I speak to you privately? Why, certainly. But if it's anything about the business, you'd better wait until Joe gets back. He's in charge now, you know. No, I, I, I'd i rather Joe didn't know about this. Uh, not just yet, Mr. Jennings. Uh, Mr. Jennings, I shall have to ask you to treat this conversation as confidential. Very well. Mr. Jennings, I have reason to believe that two attempts have been made upon my life. What did you say? Somebody's trying to kill me, sir. I'm sure of it. Good heavens, Lambert. Yes, sir. That's just the way I felt. I couldn't believe it the first time, but it happened again. But why should anyone want to kill you? Well, there isn't any reason. Unless... Unless my death would cover up for someone else. Cover what up? Well, I got to thinking about it, Mr. Jennings. There wasn't any funny business going on around here until after you retired. I got to wondering if somebody had just waited until you were out of the way. And this afternoon, I checked over my books for the last few weeks, and I found discrepancies, sir. Discrep... You mean... Somebody has altered my figures. On several occasions, somebody's done a good job of forging my handwriting. There's a lot more money paid out than I ever handled. How much? Well, so far, I found... $17,000. Who did it? Someone in the office? One of the staff? That's just it. The books are locked in the safe right here in your office. Perhaps I should say Joe's office, except when they're actually in my hands. Then it had to be someone who knew the combination of the safe. Well, now you can see why somebody wanted me out of the way, can't you? These altered figures look like mine. If I died, uh, you wouldn't hunt any further, you see. Every, everybody would believe that I took the money, gambled it away, and... Committed suicide. Someone who knew the combination. Yeah. No one knew it except you and me and Joe. That's clear enough for me. What are you going to do? I'm going to call the police. This is my company. Whoever steals from me will pay for it, even if it's a member of my own family. Uh, Mr. Jennings, you promised to keep this confidential. You can't expect me to keep a thing like this to myself. But you can't afford to make a mistake. It might not be the uh, person we think. No. 
No, I wouldn't want to. What shall I do, Lambert? Leave it to me, sir. I've got an appointment tonight with the person. If he did it, I'll get the proof. You're going to see him alone? Yes, sir. Well, that could be dangerous. You say he's already tried to kill you twice? I know, but I've got to clear my name, sir. If, if anything should go wrong, I've written the whole thing down for you. The attempts on my life, the names of the people who were with me at the time, the altered books, and... Here, here, sir. I thought if you'd put it in your personal lock compartment in the safe, it would give you the whole story. To be opened in case of my death. Lambert, the risk, I can't but let I don't you... worry about me, sir. I can take care of myself. If you'll just give me the keys to your compartment. The safe's already open. Very well. Take them, Lambert. Put the letter there yourself. I, I think I, I'll rest a few minutes before I go home. Poor old Mr. Jennings. It's a shock to him to find out his son-in-law is a thief. You forged a fine, strong chain of circumstantial evidence, haven't you, Lambert? Just one more link and you'll be ready to kill. You won't overlook that last link, will you? Not a careful man like you, Lambert. Uh, evening, Mr. Dean. You working late tonight, too? Uh, good evening, Bill. Uh, not exactly working. I have an appointment. Uh, Mr. Carson here yet? Yep, yep. Took him up about a half hour ago. Uh, come on over to the elevator. I'll ride you up. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'd uh, sure steer clear of Mr. Carson tonight, though, if I was you. Why? Why, he told me, plain as a whistle, he didn't want nobody coming near him. Didn't want anybody to come near him, except me. Uh, looky here, Mr. Dean. You don't mean... There's been some mighty funny talk going around this building. Talk? That little Miss Neal that works in your bookkeeping department. She's been spreading it around about somebody wanting to bump you off. Of course, I didn't pay no mind to her at the time. Her women always... Bill. Bill, I want you to do something for me. Why, sure, Mr. Dean. It's a warm night. The window in Mr. Carson's office on the second floor will probably be open. Uh, now, you stay in your cubbyhole on the first floor and keep your window open, too. If you hear anything, well, out of the way... Don't you worry. I'll get up there so fast you can't see me for dust. No, no. Call the police. <laughs> you want to get killed, too? Killed? Me? Oh, Mr. Dean. No, 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 you'll be all right if you do as I say. Get the police here if you hear anything funny. Yes, sir, Mr. Dean. Oh, sure. Now, well, take me up to the second floor. Yes, sir. Don't forget, Bill. I'll be glued to my window, Mr. Dean. That's right, Lambert. Now you've done it. Now you've told Joe the whole story right up to this minute. Well, it's almost time to pull the trigger, Lambert. But don't be in too much of a hurry. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you are, Joe. That's the whole story. The watchman's waiting downstairs right now. I've worked the whole thing out, as you can see. Why, you... You framed me. That's a smart boy, right the first time. <laughs> Uh, why don't you congratulate me? 
You ought to appreciate smart work. I never stole anything. Just my job, my girl, my whole life. I came up here to check the bids. I didn't make any appointment with you. Who's going to believe that? You plan to kill me. You could claim you discovered a shortage. That when you accused me, I went for you. You had to shoot me in self-defense. But, Lamb, I didn't. I never... Only you won't be around to put in a claim. Old Bill is going to hear something, all right. Just one shot. Just <laughs> one. When the police get here, they'll find you dead. I accused you, Joe. You see? You went for your gun. And I went for you. In the tussle, the gun went off. <laughs> so sorry, Joe. Oh, you're crazy. You're crazy, Lamb. Am crazy. I? Well, somebody's going to run the business after your uh, regrettable demise. I've been here nearly as long as you have. Who knows it better than me? Somebody's sure to console your widow one of these days. I've known her since I was a kid. I'm stepping into your shoes, Joe. Now... Wait. Wait, Lamb. Listen to me. That letter. You're counting on that? Oh, uh, yes. I'm a careful man. Now, Lamb, the police won't find that letter. It's gone. You haven't got a case without that letter. Ah, oh, come on, bright boy. Can't you do better than that? But I tell you, it's gone. I destroyed it. I found it tonight. In old man Jennings' compartment? <laughs> Don't make me laugh. But I've got a key to it. He had it made for me when he stopped working. Look, Lamb, I'll show you. Keep your hands out of your pockets. Oh, I only want to show you. I've got it right here. Get your hands up. I want you. Right here in my pocket. <laughs> <sighs> Did you think you could kid me, Joe? Think you could stop me with that cock and bull story? Why don't you answer, Joe? Through talking? For good? I'd better get a move on. It'll be a minute or two before the police get here, but I want to be sure. Gun right beside him. Won't matter if my prints are on a two. We tussle for it. Let's see now. His pockets. What was he going for in his pockets? If he had another gun, better make sure. Keys. He was going after his keys. No, no, no. Don't get excited. He couldn't have had the key to Mr. Jennings' compartment. He couldn't. This one. It can't be. But it looks like... If that letter's gone, it can't be the key. But it is. The key to Mr. Jennings' locked compartment in the safe. Now, what about the letter, Lambert? Did Joe find it and destroy it? Take it easy, Lambert. Don't get so excited. right. Fifteen left. Thirty-five right. Five left. Now, the compartment. It won't fit. The key won't... It does. Well, get it open. Get it open. I put it right on top and it isn't there. Maybe slid down behind the other stuff. It isn't here. Oh, yes, Lambert. The letter's gone. But there's no reason to get so excited. It doesn't matter. You've still got a case. You've planted the evidence very carefully. Don't lose your head, Lambert. You think your case will sound funny without the letter to back it up? You're getting more upset the more you think of it. And the police will be here any minute. Watch out, you'll ruin everything you've built up so carefully. But you can't see that, can you? Wait, Lambert, wait. Hey, look, there he goes. Out of my way. Hey, you, stop. The fire escape, he's getting away, down the fire escape. Come on, Fred. Okay, stop, I'll shoot. 
Can you see him? Not halfway. Get your flashlight on him. Yeah. How's that? Okay. Stop, I tell you. Get him, Fred. The Whistler will return in just a moment with the strange ending of tonight's story. Meantime, a question for you drivers. Does your windshield look different lately? Has something new been added? <laughs> I'm talking about the new 1945 Federal Use Stamp. It's time for it, you know. And it's also time to pick up one of Signal's free Use Stamp protectors if you want to be sure of getting yours. Signal Oil Company had these neat, transparent little shields made up to protect your use stamp from moisture and scuffing, so it will stay on without peeling through a whole year of wear and window washing. Every car needs one. But like all things in wartime, quantities are naturally limited. And that's why I'd suggest that you get yours this week, tomorrow if possible. Just drive into any of the friendly stations displaying Signal's yellow and black circle sign. And say, I'd like one of Signal's use stamp protectors that was offered free on the Whistler. And now, back to the Whistler. So Lambert's revenge wasn't complete. He killed Joe. But he himself was killed by the police when he ran from them. He'd counted on that letter to prove he'd killed Joe in self-defense. When the letter was gone, he lost his head. You see, the unexpected had happened. It so frequently does. In murders. Remember that when you think you'd like to kill somebody. Poor Lambert. If he'd only had a minute to think. Oh, we're through with the books, Mr. Jennings. The figures had been tampered with? Sure, the original figures have been changed. We talked to the witnesses, too. That girl in your office, the fellow that witnessed the street accident, and your watchman. I guess there isn't much doubt about what happened. There is none to my mind. Lambert must have accused Joe of theft. Perhaps he was even unwise enough to tell Joe about the letter he had left in my care. Lambert was a good man, a responsible man, but mentally a little slow. Yeah, the way I figure it, Carson knew the game was up. He must have got the drop on Mr. Dean and held him up while he got set for a getaway. Oh, the safe was open and the stuff in your private box was scattered all over the place. I kept money for my personal use there. Sometimes fairly large sums. Joe knew it. I'd had a key made for him so that he could bring me cash from time to time when I was unable to get to the office. Well, I can understand Carson's death. That was an accident when they fought over the gun. What I don't get is why Lambert Dean ran out on us. I don't like shooting down innocent men. You mustn't blame yourself. You couldn't have known. As I said, Lambert was not quick. I suppose he thought he could not prove Joe had attacked him. Oh, we might not have either, without that letter. Yes, it's a fortunate thing I remembered that Joe had the key to my compartment. Of course, I removed the letter at once and took it home with me. A very fortunate thing. Otherwise, we might never have known what happened.
Next Monday at 9 o'clock, The Whistler will bring you another strange tale. The Whistler is broadcast for your entertainment by the marketers of Signal Gasoline and Motor Oil and fine quality automotive accessories and by your neighborhood Signal dealer. This program, directed by George W. Allen, with tonight's story by Sally Thorson, music by Wilbur Hatch, is transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is Marvin Miller speaking, and suggesting that you let every traffic signal remind you that you do go farther with Signal Gasoline. Yes, you do go farther with Signal This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Whistler from July 2nd, 1945, with Deadly Innocent. And Bill Foreman was heard there as The Whistler is heard on CBS. Hope you enjoyed that. All right, you ready for part two of this five-part Yours Truly Johnny Dollar episode? Yeah, I'm really loving this five-part series it's we have great, going right? every weekend. The Lamar Matter. Here's part two from March 27, 1956, starring Bob Bailey. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. I have your party in Hartford, Connecticut now, Mr. Dollar. Oh, thanks. Just a moment, please. Hello, McCracken, Universal Adjustment Bureau. Hi, Pat. Johnny, are you still in La Jolla? Didn't you get my telegram? Sure did, and I'm getting ready to leave for South Bend right now. In the company of a beautiful, charming, lovely... Now look, son, your vacation is over. Charming, lovely girl named Vonnie Lamar. Okay, okay, now will you... What? That's right, Thomas Renee Lamar's daughter. Does she know her father's died? Telegram for her arrived at the same time I received yours. You didn't show her my wife. No. She doesn't know yet that you think it might be murder. <laughs> Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Universal Adjustment Bureau, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Mr. Patrick McCracken. Following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Lamar matter. Or was it murder? Expense account item one. I'm calling it item one, Pat, because it's really the first tab on the Lamar case. Previous expenses here in La Jolla were charged against the Jolly Roger case. Expenses for the vacation you promised me and have now so rudely interrupted. Item one, $9.60 for that long-distance call to Pat McCracken in Hartford. Now, what under the sun is Vonnie Lamar doing in La Jolla? Vacation? Same as I was trying to take. Now, tell me something, Pat. Pat? Has a claim already been filed on Lamar's million-and-a-half-dollar policy? No claim has been filed. Well, then how'd you know about his death so quickly? Look, pure and simple. The insurance company is Tri-Mutual. Big office in Chicago, headed up by Lawrence Comstock. Oh, sure. Known him for years. Good man. Well, he's written all of Lamar's policies himself. He got to know the old man pretty well. Uh-huh. Personal friends, you know. Weekend golf together, same clubs, and both nuts about two-handed pinochle. So? Well, Comstock had been Lamar's house guest for the past few days, and been with him practically every minute the old man wasn't at his plant. Was he actually there when Lamar died? Yes, yes. He was the one who called the doctor when the old man keeled over. Look, you keep referring to him as the old man. Just how old was he? Oh, not too. Uh, let me see. I've got it. Uh, he was 59. 
The doctor's name on her telegram was Wilson. You know his first name? No, I don't know. That's stuff you'll have to get from Comstock there in South Bend. Okay. Well, at any rate, Johnny, he called me the minute the doctor pronounced Lamar dead and specifically asked that you be put on the case. Yeah, well, that's flattering. Okay, it looks like I am, but tell me something. Yeah? What makes Larry think the man was murdered? I'd rather not discuss it now. He'll, he'll give it to you when you see him. Our plane leaves in about an hour. No doubt you can be of some comfort to the daughter. Hmm? Her knowing that you're handling the case. Pat, that's the one thing I don't want her to know. I hung up, leaving Pat to ponder over that last remark. Wired Larry Comstock that I was coming and finished my packing for the trip back east. When I'd finished, I paid my bill at the fancy motel. And all I can say is, thank goodness it was on expense account. And I knocked on the door of the cottage next to mine. Yes, come in. Oh, Johnny. Hi, Bonnie. Any way I can help you? More than you have. You've been wonderful. Arranging the flight back for me. For us. Taking care of the things here. Johnny. That's right, for us. I'm making the trip with you. But you... I thought you said Hartford, Connecticut. And your vacation. Oh, the vacation's all over. Wouldn't be any fun for me to stay around after this. Oh, darling. And South Bend is along the way. I'd feel better if I kind of took you home rather than let you make the long trip alone under the circumstances. And maybe I have some business or something to attend to there. Darling, I, I don't know what... Easy. Oh, you made it so wonderful when Daddy couldn't get here these last few days. And now that this terrible thing has happened, you stick by me this way. That's the only way I'd have it. You... You're so wonderful. All right. Come on now. Come on, get your things together. I've called for a cab to the airport in San Diego. Come on, Mom. Oh, thank you, Johnny. I love you for this. Sure. I can't say I exactly relish thoughts of the flight back east. Much as I hoped I could be of some small comfort to the girl. Much as I genuinely wanted to. Such things can be pretty rough, particularly in this instance. But I am an insurance investigator, and in a matter of this sort, a million and a half dollars at stake, the possibility of murder, well, it's up to me to suspect everyone, whether I like it or not. <sighs> yeah, I sometimes think it's a pretty rotten racket to be in. Johnny. Sleep, honey. Sleep. You'll need all of it you can get before you have to face things at home. I wasn't sleeping. I was just thinking and being so thankful that you're here with me. Honey, I wired ahead for a hotel reservation. What? Yep. I'm going to stay in South Bend a few days. You wonderful one. No, no, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I also wired a friend of mine, a, well, a fellow with whom I do business now and then, so I... Well, anyhow, I'll be there for a few days and maybe more, and as long as I can be of any help to you. It's funny. Hmm? You know, you still haven't told me what you do. Well, don't worry about that now. But I'm curious. Tell me. It'll give us something to talk about. Did you wire anyone at your home about your arrival? Yes, Harrison the butler. Johnny. Well, uh, how, how about the doctor who telegraphed you? Yes, Dr. Wilson, too. Honey. Wilson. Wilson. Edward T. Wilson. Not tell me. No. 
No, now, you you stop talking and try to get some rest. But all... I'm going back to the lounge in the tail section so that you'll have nothing to do but get some sleep. Then you won't tell me. No. Tomorrow. I'll see. Thank you, Johnny. No, I... I can, maybe. Very rough. I felt like a traitor to her. Well, we landed in Chicago at 10 a.m. and took a cab from the airport to the Lamar home on the outskirts of South Bend. I'd never before realized that the big industrial city with all its huge, dirty, sprawling factories had such a wealthy residential section. And the Lamar home on Parody Lane was one of the most impressive of all, set far back in what must have been an acre of well-kept lawn. In addition to Harrison, the butler, we were met at the door by the housekeeper, cook, upstairs and downstairs, maids, and a couple of other servants. All of them, obviously, in deep sorrow over the passing of the master of the house. And may I most humbly, for all of us, express our deepest sympathy in this hour of this... <laughs> it's all... Thank you, Harrison. Thank you all. I'm going to my room and we'll call you when... Uh, yes, miss? This is Mr. Dollar. Mr. Dollar. He's to be admitted to the house any time he... I'll be here, Vonnie, as soon as possible. And you know where to reach me. Yes, Johnny. Thank you. And now to get to work, whether I liked it or not. I took the cab to the townhouse, dumped my bags, then back to Chicago in the office of Lawrence Comstock, Tri-Mutual's representative. He was waiting for me. Well, Johnny, you sure walked into something this time. Thick one, Larry? You don't know. You don't know the half of it. The million and a half of it. You gave Pat McCracken back in Hartford the idea that Lamar's death might be murder. I think it is. I really think it is, Johnny. Why? Tom Lamar was one of the best friends I ever had. Should have been. Your commission on the insurance he was carrying was enough to set you up for life. Oh, no, Johnny, don't talk like that. Tom was a good friend of mine, quite aside from business. I sold him his very first policy years ago, and he was just a bookkeeper for Atlas Processing Company, earning $70 a week. And when he married Delise... Delise? His wife, who died five years ago. Oh. That policy was only for 2500 straight life. So? Well, you know how little my commission was on that. But I liked him. I saw that he had a spark about him. That with the proper kind of encouragement, he could go places. And he did. Yeah, so I understand. I understand the Lamar metal products is a really big thing. General metal fabricators just bought them out. Oh? Yes, and Tom was getting all ready to retire. Spend the rest of his days having fun, golf, fishing, winters in California, and summers in Minnesota, that sort of thing. And taking care of Vonnie, his adopted daughter. Yeah. Kind of worth taking care of, too. Eh? I know her, Larry. Met her in La Jolla, California. Oh, then you... Brought her back here to face the sad fact of her father's death. Why didn't... Oh, yes, of course. The family doctor, Ed Wilson. I should have realized... He sent a telegram to Vonnie to the same place you were in La Jolla. She's a wonderful girl, John. You're telling me. But, Larry... Yes? Something you told Pat McCracken back in Hartford has led him to think that possibly Thomas Lamar was murdered. John. Johnny, in the years I've known Tom Lamar... Yeah? I've not only known him, but I've known his family. Well? And much of his affairs, personal as well as business... Well? His wife, Delise. I would have married her long ago if I'd been able. Oh, get to the point, Larry. Oh, yes, of course. And his daughter, Lavon. Vonnie. 
I wish she'd been my daughter, my child. Come on, Larry, come on, get at it. She's a wonderful girl. You said that. Oh, yes, of course. Well, there were things in her past, Vani's past, that even her mother and later her father didn't know about. But I did. For heaven's sake, man, get to the point. You too? Yes, me too. Yeah, me. The confirmed bachelor. Take him or leave him. Have fun. Forget him. Make a big... Come on, Larry. Listen, Johnny. Now listen carefully. Dr. E.T. Wilson. Ed Wilson. An old friend of mine as well as Tom. Yes? It was Ed who made the last insurance examination. Four months ago. Thomas Rene Lamar was in better health than you are. After all, he was only 59, and he'd lived a careful life, taking good care of himself. Well, go on. We were sure of his physical condition. Sure of it. That's why I let him add to his already large policy. Larry, you've told Pat McCracken, and you've admitted to me that you think Thomas Lamar was murdered. Yes, John. Because of one man. Who? The one man who shared his confidences, business and personal. Yeah? Who was closer to him than even Ed Wilson or me. Well, who? One man who alone could be sure of benefiting by Tom Lamar's death. Oh, look, Larry, that bush you're beating around is getting bigger and bigger. It's so simple, John, so discouragingly simple. All right, all right, Larry, all right. Take it any way you like. I'm here for two reasons. Because I'm assigned to this case and because of Vonnie. Yes, I know. Now, who is it you suspect? The man Vani is really in love with. Oh. I'm sorry, John. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, some stuff I didn't want to hear, but I had to. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone, who also wrote tonight's story. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, Roy Rowan speaking. And that's Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, part two of a five-part adventure called The Lamar Matter from March 27, 1956, starring Bob Bailey. Please salute our brave men and women fighting overseas for their support of the USA. This salute, courtesy of a concerned citizen, John Wadzita, serving the U.S. Postal Service for over 38 years. John Wadzita is on the air saluting our troops. All right, more of the WGN Radio Theater after these words.